Here it is, the roll call of blessing. I know many of you are pretty familiar with this gospel. It's often called the Beatitudes. But if we pause to really consider it, it, well, it's a little bizarre. It sounds wild today, and I have to imagine it it must have sounded even stranger back then. Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's pulled together this ragtag group of fishermen, uh, asking them, of all people, to be his disciples. And there's a mounting crowd following him, desperate for healing and for a good word. They are out in the hinterlands now, in sight of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus heads up a big hill and begins. Who here is poor in spirit? He scans the crowd, looking at all these weary, hurting people. You are blessed. You will inherit the kingdom of God. I can see them furrowing their brows, maybe wanting to to ask a question, but he's already moving on. Is there anyone here who is mourning? He asks. Yes. Present. You are blessed. You will be comforted. Who among you is meek? Who is hungry for righteousness? Who is making peace? Who is persecuted? Blessed, 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 blessed. It's not what they are expecting. And even as these words have been passed down through all these generations to us, It's still not what we expect either. How can these these painful situations be bound up with blessing? A version of this passage appears in the Gospel of Luke as well, but it is much more concrete there. In Luke's telling, Jesus pronounces that it is the poor who are blessed. The poor, full stop, not the poor in spirit. And there it is the hungry who are blessed, those who are are hungry for actual food, not those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, as Matthew records it here. And I love Luke for his straightforward call to open our eyes, to pay attention to these most basic human needs, as our starting point. And the longer I sit with Matthew's version, the more I appreciate how he complicates it all. Luke has given us this foundation and then Matthew adds layers and layers on top of it. So what if this isn't a roll call of the blessed? Or... Or what if it is, and everyone, every last person, is on that list? 
That's what I hear Jesus describing in Matthew's account. Every human being can find themselves on this list. Whether it is what we're experiencing today, or, or for remembering back to a time when we were mourning, or longing, or, or feeling so weak, or, or feeling so emboldened to make things right. We've all been there. Jesus is describing the whole of humanity, naming all of us as the object of this blessing. How much I want to believe that, and how easily I forget it. I remember sighing to myself when the doorbell rang. Whatever or whomever it was, I probably did not have time for it. That's what I thought. I I was sitting in the office at All Souls, my last congregation in Berkeley. I was working on something apparently very important that I've now long forgotten. It was late in the day, and and so the picture on the, the little video screen that was attached to the doorbell was it was grainy with the sun drained from the sky, but I recognized the face. Mark came around only a couple of times a year at at most, but he was memorable. He had lived a rough and adventurous life, and, and much of it had caught up with him. He had served in Vietnam, and he was now suffering from a lot of the side effects of Agent Orange, PTSD made it difficult for him to hold down a steady job. And generally, we saw Mark when he was in a tight spot. He knew that the church was a safe place where he could come and and rest and sometimes get a hand. We periodically helped with things like rent or, or a train ticket to the next hopeful job, things like that. I was glad to see him and... And also it was the end of the day, and I had more to do before I could go home. And so I pushed the button to buzz him in, and I took a deep breath. Mark came in and sat down, and we began catching up. He had been out in Pennsylvania most recently, working on the railroad there, but it hadn't panned out the way he had hoped. And so he was now back in the Bay Area. He was thinking about heading up to work on some of the wildfire cleanup work up north, um, even though he knew it would be tough on his fragile health. He didn't have a lot of options. As we talked, though, he also shared how glad he was to be back home in the Bay, back around his community, in particular, he said he was really happy, happy to be back with his AA meetings, where, where he was fully known and where he knew the others really well also. He told me that he had been sober for more than 15 years at that point. My eyes grew wide. I congratulated him on such a feat and I registered my awe. And then, totally on a whim, I told him that 
I had just celebrated 18 months sober myself. My close friends knew this, and they were wonderfully supportive, but it wasn't something I was sharing out more broadly. Not yet. It felt like good work and hard work and also tender. It was something that I largely kept to myself. And as soon as the words left my lips, Mark broke into a huge grin, just just beaming at me. And he immediately rose to his feet and pulled me up to standing and hugged me and hugged me. He was so much farther along than I and, and yet he was absolutely thrilled for me. Thrilled that I had made it that far, still counting forward in months, still learning how to share this with another. The purpose and nature of our conversation changed there. It, it turned on a dime. Mark offered me stories and and tricks that had helped him and wisdom and just so much encouragement to keep going. It seemed that with all he had made it through in life, he was most proud of his sobriety. His model of recognizing that tremendous gift resonated with me. It resonated deeply and it stuck with me. When Mark rang the doorbell that afternoon, I automatically stepped in to a particular framework, one where I expected that he was coming to ask for something and that I would then decide whether and maybe how to offer it. And honestly, I think, I think we do that more or less all the time. We meet people and believe a certain exchange will take place, a a purchase made or a service rendered, maybe something taught, a need met. We assume that things will primarily go in one direction, that we will remain in our proper lanes and our predictable roles. What Jesus is describing, though, is a picture of deep mutuality, It's messy and dynamic and often startling. The the lines we assume will separate us are, are no longer so clear or straight. We overlap, we offer, and we need both. We settle into the longing and the possibility together. That's where the blessing emerges. That's where God so readily shows up. Blessing does not describe times when everything is luxurious and and going great, though that's how we usually use the word. Instead, blessing is the grace that sneaks in towards the tender spots of life. It is the love that comes when we don't know how or, or even if it'll all work out. It is the audacious hope that someone lifts up for us on the days when we can't fathom it ourselves. Blessing comes as the surprise of comfort from an unlikely source when we are mourning, 
as welcome company when we're struggling toward a more just and righteous world. This blessing comes when our spirits are fearfully low, offering us the kingdom of God, which is to say welcoming us to make ourselves completely at home, here and now. So listen, here is the roll call of blessing. The sly twist that Jesus brings is that everyone is on this list because we've all been there, all these places, and we will be there again. In the Beatitudes, Jesus calls us to recognize this blessing, by which I mean this need and this possibility. He calls us to recognize this blessedness in everyone, in all people we meet, all of them our neighbors. He asks us to see the blessing that is already here.